This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Um, the Shabbat Torah Mitzvah is not this Shabbat, but next Shabbat. Now, you might not believe me. Oh, where's my phone? You might not believe me, but we have eight rooms left. So if you want to take your time and, like some people say, yeah, we'll call you after Purim. There's not going to be any room. We have eight rooms left. What happened was last year, the, the, the hotel we went to had 304 rooms. The hotel this year had 250 rooms. Only problem is that they gave away 40 of them. And we just found that out. So now the hotel has 210 rooms. 210 rooms last year, we had 100 rooms more. So we don't have that many rooms. And we really want the girls, the Ornava girls, to come to the Shabbaton. And we're getting a lot of couples that want to come to the Shabbaton. And I keep pushing them off, telling them that we have to wait. But in the meanwhile, I think we have eight or nine rooms left. So if you guys don't grab it, there's just not going to be any, any rooms. You don't believe me. You're going to call next week on Sunday. Oh, could I have just a room, please? I want to come. And we're going to have to be meanies and say, we don't have room unless you want to pitch a tent on the sand by the beach. Then you can come to eat and have your own tent. Yes. Does anybody have an earpiece, the wiry one? It's a little fuzzy or coalition. Anybody? Where is it? Where's the phone? It's right here. I'm talking into it the whole time. Okay. Where's the... Um, Where's the... Speaker on here. Yeah, we'll, we'll do this. We'll do this. How's it now? You hear it? I'll call it. Okay, call it. We'll do this. No, no, I just turned it upside down and had the speaker. Anyway, if you really want to hear this, you come to the share. Okay. Anyway, so now Purim Palooza, Purim Palooza, Hashem. Where does a young Jewish girl go Purim night? Not the Chaim Berlin, right? Not around. Not around with the, with the, you know, to collect money in people's houses. So what is she supposed to do Purim night? Sit home and watch her brothers all go out and have a good time? No. Shalom. She's going to come to Arnava's Purim Palooza, which is not going to be here. It's going to be on 63rd Street and Avenue U in a place called Flappish Park Jewish Center. There's Rat Hashem. It's amazing. Now, at 7.30, we have Megillah reading. At 8 o'clock, break your fast. At 8.45... There are performances, and we have the wonderful group Sababa, DJ Sababa, which will be here. And it's going to go until you don't want to dance anymore. So it's a Purim Palooza. It's free. It's free, and we have a lot of good food and a lot of good music, and we want you to enjoy. It's not here. It's on East 63rd and Avenue U in Crown Heights Yeshiva, also called Flappish Park. We hope to see you there. Okay. So, last week, <laughs> we spoke about, I, I told you about um, this story. It's good? No, wait. wait. I told you about this story of um, having bitachon and belief that if something's not, you don't believe that something's happening, it doesn't happen. So we talked about that when Haman came to Yeshiva and he asked the boys, what are you learning? They said, Kamitsa. And he went home and said, we're all going to be destroyed. Haman's going to lose because if the Jews don't believe in my Xera, it's not going to happen. So I told you to all go out. What now? No, just do, Okay, upside down. Here we go. So I told you to all go out and buy books from uh, Eichler's or whatever farm store on Gimme Tzedakah. 
So by a show of hands, since it was such an amazing share last week, how many people sitting here tonight who were here last week went out the past week and bought a safer on Tzedakah? How many? No, no. You're supposed to raise your hand if you did. <laughs> Don't feel bad. At the boys' share last night, I asked the same thing, and nobody raised their hand. Okay, so I guess I'm just talking, and nobody's listening, except in Kansas City and in Lakewood and Cedarhurst and California. But in New York, no one's listening. Okay, so don't come to me later and complain why you're having a problem with the economy. But even though this person didn't go out and buy a safer, I have to tell you a story that happened yesterday in my office to prove that what I said last week is true. So a man came to me <coughs> yesterday for tzedakah, who used to be a very rich man. He used to have a lot of money. And he lost everything in the market and real estate. And he doesn't have food. doesn't have money to pay his mortgage. So he came to me yesterday for tzedakah. And he said, we're good? He said, Rabbi Wallerstein, I want to tell you a crazy, amazing story that happened to me. I said, okay, I'm, I love stories. You give me a good story, I'll sell it. So he says, I have to tell you a crazy story. He said, last week, there's this man that comes to me every single year before Purim, and he has like 13 kids, and his house burnt down, and two of his kids are sick, and his wife is sick, and he doesn't have a job, and they're really starving. They really have no food. I've been to the house. So every year I give him $500 for Pesach Purim together, and uh, Baruch Hashem, I've been doing that for 10 years. Well, he came to me last week, and I don't have a dollar. I don't even have a dollar for my own kids. And he sat down, and I didn't have the heart not to give this man anything. I didn't have the heart. So I took out my checkbook, knowing that my checking account has absolutely no money in it, and I wrote a check for $100. Because I just couldn't say no. Sometimes he just can't say no. And, you know, I just felt bad. And even the man said, $100? He used to give me $500. I told him. I don't have any money. And I gave him a check for $100. And he left. And then I said to myself, I'm a Meshuggah. Where am I going to get $100? To, I don't have food. I don't have anything. Where am I going to get $100 to cover this check? I wrote a check that's going to bounce. He said, so I made up my mind that I'm going to go the following day. And I'm going to tell the bank manager that I wrote a check. And it may not be covered. She should please cover it for me. And that I never did anything like this before. And I'll get the $100 together within the next three, four days. He said, but I got busy, and it was 3 o'clock. The bank closed at 3 o'clock. And by the time I was ready to go to the bank, it was already 4 o'clock, and I couldn't go to the bank manager. He said, then I forgot about it. Totally forgot about it. He says, three days later, I'm like, oh, my goodness. That check's going to bounce. I never went to the bank manager. I never told her to cover it. Oh, my goodness, i got to go run to the bank. Maybe it didn't hit yet, but the guy was very poor. He probably put it in right away. So he runs to the bank. And he puts his ATM card in the machine. And the ATM card and the, and the screen comes up. You have $214 in your account. He says, $214 in my account. I have no money. How do I have $214 in my account? So he looks on the ATM machine, and it shows a deposit, miscellaneous deposit, $314. And then the $100 check hit, right? Didn't bounce because he had money in the account. And he had $214. He's like, this is crazy, this is a miracle, this is a nace. You write a check, it's not covered, right? And then Hashem covers it. It's like, it's like amazing, don't try it. Don't try it. 
I won't try it. So he goes to the bank manager. This guy, guy came to my office to collect money. He told me, this is a story. He told me himself. He goes to the bank manager and he says, what's this miscellaneous $314 deposit in my account? Who put money in my account? And she said, I don't know. Let me look it up. And she looks it up. And she says, what are you talking about, Mr. So-and-so? You have a life insurance policy, and you get a, a premium, whatever, uh, an interest, whatever, on your premium. And every year, you seem to be getting somewhere, with, depending on the rate, 314 to $390. You've been getting this for years. So the $314 from the life insurance hit his account a couple of days before he wrote the check. He didn't realize. He didn't know. Before he even wrote the check, thinking that he's giving to Duck he doesn't even have, Meanwhile, it was covered all the time by this life insurance policy premium, which he totally forgot. Now, why didn't he know that he's getting a $314 life insurance? Because this man was a multimillionaire. And every year when he got a $314, it didn't mean anything to him. So he never thought about it. He had hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in his account. So $314 didn't mean anything. So he totally forgot about it. He says, and I had $214 left, which is going to help me buy the things that I need. And I didn't even know that I was getting anything from this life insurance. So, of course, he came to me for money also, right? Um, because he needs more money, he needs Pesach money, whatever it is. I said, you see, what I told them last week is true. If you don't believe you don't have money, you have money. Now, you're all sitting there like, this is a great story. You tell very good stories. I'm going to go out tomorrow. I'm going to write a check. And it's going to bounce from here to Shemayim, right? Because you're only doing it because I told you the story. But he didn't have a story beforehand. He didn't do it because I told the story. He did it because he felt very bad for this man, and he felt he had to give, the, give him money. There's a koyach, there's a, a strength and a power in a person's belief and, and a person's emuna. And Baruch Hashem, if a person really has emuna, it, it, it really comes through. Again, I know you all have questions in your head, and it's like a very nice story, but I had emuna about Shiduchim, and I had emuna that my grandmother was going to live, and I had this, all this emuna, and it didn't happen. Depends on what your moon is based on. Depends on what, what your real moon is. Um, he wrote the check. That, that's real moon. He wrote a check and he signed it. And he wanted to give this man the $100. And, and the funny thing is that it wasn't such a big deal because he really had $314, but he didn't know it. He didn't know it. So many of us probably have a lot of money that we don't know that's coming down the line, right? That HaGashbuch was already in the, they call it the Kinor, in the pipe, on its way down from Shemayim. And... You know, like, it's like the tree in the forest. If a person walks around, he's very poor, and he won a lotto, he won a lotto ticket, right? But he doesn't know it. Right? So the question is, a, it's a, if to talk about it, I don't know, in theory, um, is he a poor man or a rich man? I once asked my class this question. It's like the tree that falls, you know, in, in the forest. Does, does it make a sound if there's no one there to hear it? Right? So I never understood that question. It makes a sound, but nobody heard it. The sound is not dependent on hearing the sound. What happens if a tree falls in the forest and there is a person there and he's deaf? Did the tree make a sound? All right, this is not my shit tonight. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's definitely something to think about. So, so the question is, you have a poor person. He doesn't have what to eat. He buys a lotto ticket. He puts it in his pocket. He goes far away to another country. The lotto ticket wins. He now, he's now worth $125 million, but he doesn't know. So he's still collecting scraps of bread because he has no idea that he won. Is he a rich man or is he a poor man? In actuality, he's a rich man. He just doesn't know it. And that's my subject tonight.
that we're all very rich, but we don't know it. And I'm not talking about money. So the question is, When the month of Adar comes in, you're supposed to be very happy. And that's very nice in theory. But why should I be happy? Am I engaged? Did I make a million dollar business deal? Did I pass my test with an A plus? Why should I be happy in Ador? What happened in Ador that I should be happy? That the Jews were saved from Haman? Happened a long time ago. I'm very happy. Thank you very much, Hashem. But my grandfather was saved from the Holocaust. That's even closer to me. So maybe I should make a Rishinichnas whenever my grandparents were saved from the Holocaust. I should be Marvin Mazimcha. It's much closer to me. It's my grandfather. Or my, my father. So, why is the month of Adar, Mishnichnas Adar, Marvin Mazimcha? So, I asked this question this week in a share of women. And the way I proposed the question, as I said, what about Mishnichnas Ben Nisan? Nisan was a huge miracle. We got out of Mitzrayim. Kriyas Yamsuf. Mishnichnas Nisan. So one lady said, Rabbi, there's nothing to be happy about in Nisan. If you know all the cleaning I gotta do, right, don't give me to be happy in Nisan. You clean my house for two, three weeks, four weeks. We'll see how happy you are. And the guys got up and said, Rabbi Wallstein, the price I gotta pay for matzah, I'm not happy. Anyway, of course they're happy, but it's not. So I said, okay, how about Mishnichnas Besivon? Marvin Besimcha. We get the Torah. Mishnichnas Betishrei. Why only one month in the whole year does do the Chachamim say that you should be happy? What should I be happy about in the month of Adar more than any other month? And the answer is as follows. If you remember my shir last week, so you remember that Akash Baruch that God signed Xera that all of us should be killed, should be dead, should die. And then we were all saved, like the story with Yankel, which I told you last week, with the car, and he was hit, and in the, in the emergency room, and they got to the whole mice. So, what happened in Adar, that didn't happen in any other month of the year, is in Adar, life was taken away from us, by God signing the Xera in a, in a world of no time, and life was given back to us. In Mitzrayim, nobody wanted to kill us. They, they, they made us servants. Right? On Shavuos, we got the Torah. Nobody wanted to kill us. On Sukkot, nobody wanted to kill us. The celebration of life is the celebration of Purim. Purim is in the month of Adar. Mishinichnas Adar, Mabam Basimcha, the reason that a human being, that a Jew, is supposed to be happy in this month is because... You are alive. Zehu. And the month to focus on being happy that you're alive is the month that we almost died. It is the only holiday that we were saved. Hanukkah, they didn't want to kill us. They wanted to make us into Greeks, into a different religion. But they didn't want to kill us. But the month of Adar, they wanted to kill us. So the celebration of life should make you happy. The terrible tragedy this week in Lakewood. 
a young 20-year-old boy passed away with a lot of friends. And I know a lot of his friends. Very, very tragic. One of the girls that's in my high school, when she went to the cemetery, she called me up and she said, Rabbi Wallerstein, I'm crying and I can't stop crying. I knew this boy. And I wanted to read, she wrote a most amazing um, poem or letter to him. He's not on this world anymore. And I, I wanted to bring it tonight, but for some reason I, I misplaced it. I didn't bring it. Rezrat Hashem, I'll, I'll read it after Purim. Maybe the reason I'm not reading it is because it's a very, very sad poem. And we're in Adar, it's not, you're not supposed to be sad. But what she said to me that hit her when they buried this boy was she looked at all the gravestone around him and they were all people who lived 70 years and 60 years and they were grandfathers and fathers and, 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 and had accomplished so much. And this young boy left this world at 20, not married, no children, didn't leave anything. And she said, for a person to leave this world without doing anything is tragedy. And that's the tragedy of death. The tragedy of death is the end of a person's potential. When a tzaddik dies, really, we should all be happy. We should make a party. It's sort of like if someone was to tell his family in the middle of this miserable snowstorm and freezing weather, I'm going to Florida. So they're going to sit on the floor and rip their jackets and their shirts and sit shiva and cry and say Kaddish and light candles. You're going to say, Baruch Hashem, you're so lucky you're going to Florida. They're going to walk him to JetBlue and they're going to say, have a great trip, bye. So when a person who did a lot in their life and they were righteous and they did good things and they passed away to the next world, why are we sad? Why are we sitting shiva? Why are we ripping our clothing? They're going to a better place. We believe this world is a sewer. And the next world is a better place. Mishnah Pirkeiavos, one second in the next world is greater than 120 years in this world. One second. So if that's true, then when a person dies, we should throw a party. They got to the other world. I'm the one who's stuck on this world. You should shiver for me because I'm alive. I'm stuck over here. He's free. He's in Ganeiden with all the tzaddikim next to the Shechina. So why are we so depressed and we cry? And not only that, there's a halacha you have to cry and you have to sit on the floor and you... You have to be an Ovel. What am I being an Ovel? He's in Shemayim. He's in the best place. And the answer is, and it's so important for this generation, that the greatest tragedy in the world is the end of potential. For the greatest tzaddik in the world, if he had another second, he could do another mitzvah. The same Mishnah says that a second on this world doing mitzvahs is greater mikol Olam Haba is greater than Ganeiden, Mashiach, the next world, everything that we're waiting for. One minute, one second in this world doing a mitzvah is greater than all of that. And that's why we cry when a person passes away because that person, even if he's a tzaddik, even the Rabbi Akiva said, I, want, I need one more second to do one more mitzvah. Just give me one more second. The greatest tzaddik, his potential is over. And the end of potential it's tragedy. The end of potential is tragedy. And that's why a person sits shiva. Because that person, no matter who they are, their potential is over. 
you can help them, you can learn from them. That's called the raglayim of the person. But that person's potential as himself is over, and that is total, total tragedy. So, just like when a person's potential, when a person dies, and their potential is over, is the greatest tragedy, the greatest tragedy that's around. You don't sit shiver for anything else. And in fact, someone sent me very interesting, nothing to do with this boy, but someone told me, I didn't know this halacha, that if someone commits suicide, you don't sit shiver. So, they had heard this shir, because I spoke about this somewhere else this week, and they said, Rewalski, now I never understood when a person commits suicide, why don't you sit shiver? This is because that person, the reason you're sitting shiva is because you're mourning that the person's potential is over. That person took away his potential. So what are you sitting shiva for? So uh, the greatest pain and availus in the world is when potential is ended. Therefore, the greatest happiness in the world, the greatest simcha in the world, is when a person has that potential and it's not ended. And since on Purim, Haman wanted to kill us. He wanted to end the potential of every girl in this room, of every man, of every person in Klaistro. Nashim, Anashim, the Taf. He didn't want to only kill the old people. He wanted to kill the old people and the young people and the women and the men and the children. He wanted to end the potential of Judaism, the potential of every Jew. And that is the greatest sadness that there is. But opposing the greatest sadness is the greatest happiness. And what is the greatest happiness? That we made it out alive. Life is the, is the exact opposite of our velus. Which means that when a person wakes up in the morning, and that's why we say modani, and you're alive, and you can see, and you can hear, and you can feel, and you can taste, and you have the potential that day of a car going down the street about to hit a kid, and you see it, and nobody sees it, and you grab the kid out of the way, you have the potential that day to save somebody's life. You have the potential that day of making someone smile. You have the potential that day of helping someone. You have the potential that day to speak for a few minutes to God. You have the potential that day to make a bracha, to say baracha to Hashem. In the next world, you can't say that. So when a person wakes up in the morning as painful, and you should never know from it, as painful as mourning someone who died, that terrible pain that a mourner has when they lose someone that they love, that's how much pleasure a person should have that they woke up and they're alive. As much pain as death brings, that's how much happiness life brings. But for some reason, we only have the pain when we lose somebody. When we don't have that, that glory and that beauty, yes, yes, we do have it. When a baby's born for a couple of moments. But it doesn't last. Within a year or two, we're yelling at that kid. And within five, six years, we're ignoring that kid. And he's a nudge. What happened to that potential? So, yes, birth lasts for a couple of minutes, but your birth doesn't last for you. Other people are happy that you're born. You're not. So, the person themselves, every day when you, when you, when you get up, you say, Moda Ani, you don't realize that you were, right, one sixtieth of death. 
when you're sleeping. And never lately, some people didn't wake up from sleep. We lost a nine-year-old boy in, in Farakaway this week who didn't get up in the morning. Didn't get up in the morning. You can't take for granted that you wake up in the morning. So when you wake up in the morning and you have this chayim and you have this life, and yes, we all have problems. But if you're alive, you have the potential to overcome those problems. They may last a year, they may last five years. But as long as you're alive, you have crazy potential. Tragedy is when a person doesn't reach their potential or doesn't believe in their potential, so they get depressed. And that's Yetzirah's, his whole koyach, is to keep you in bed and put your head in the pillow and, 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 and make a person depressed. And the, I believe very strongly that the reason that people are depressed in this generation and they have to take medicine and they have to go, go through all kinds of stuff is because you don't appreciate that you're alive. Because a person that appreciated that they're alive and that they could do so much and they could give so much pleasure in the world to people, make them happy, and they could give Hashem pleasure by doing mitzvahs, a person like that, you couldn't get them depressed if you threw a cinder block on their head. There's no way. There's no way that that person can be depressed. If he gets up in the morning and says, I'm alive, let's see what happens. Who knows what's going to happen today? I'm going to write a check for $100, and some insurance company is going to send me $314 to cover it. So many good things. And that's why Mishinichnas Ador Marbim Besimcha. Because this was the month that we were supposed to die. And Hashem gave us life. So the, it might sound silly to you. Imagine you go to someone and you say, Oh man, this month, the Jewish nation is so happy. What happened? You got the Torah? No. You went out of Mitzrayim? No. So what happened? We're alive. Everybody's alive. What are you guys so happy about? And the answer is, because Haman wanted to destroy us. We were on that edge. We were on the edge of losing our potential. Every person in this room, every person in this room, don't let anyone in the world, anyone in the world, boy, girl, teacher, parent, sister, brother, husband, anyone, therapist, anyone in this world, tell you ever that you don't have potential. Because you can only go through the graveyard and tell the people underneath those stones you don't have potential. But we do. And until we're underneath those stones, until the last second, says the Torah, a person can do teshuva and a person can change the world. And I think that life is taken for granted in this world. And that's why everyone's depressed. Because what you expect doesn't make you happy. If your mother takes you out every morning for breakfast, for pancakes, every morning you go to Garden of Eden, you got to plug them, they help us. You go to Garden of Eden every morning, your mommy takes you, she's amazing. And she buys you a whole stack of pancakes. Now it's your birthday. So she takes you out, and she buys you a whole stack of pancakes. And she gives you a card, a birthday card. You're going to say, oh, Ma, thank you so much for the card. What about the pancakes? I bought you pancakes this morning. Oh, but Ma, you buy that for me every day. A present, the word present means you're giving me something I don't deserve. That's the word present. If, you, if I work for you at $10 an hour and I work for you for two hours and you give me $20, you didn't give me a present. You give me $25, then $5, that's a present because I don't deserve that. 
I didn't earn that. So a present means something you didn't earn. You got married, I bought you a present. It didn't work. I'm buying a present to make you happy and giving you something for your marriage. Something that you don't expect, right? <coughs> One of the reasons that we package our presents is the psychological part behind it is the more the wrappers, right, the more your imagination of what's in there, the more is, oh, I don't deserve this. I can't believe you got me this. I don't deserve this. And you take the next wrapper. Oh my goodness, there's another wrapper. Oh my goodness, it's a felt box. I surely don't deserve jewelry. I surely don't deserve this, right? But if, if you if you feel you deserve it, it's like, well, you buy me something I deserve, like I have that coming to me. So things that we have coming to us in life, they don't make us happy. You know, you make brachas in the morning. That I have clothing. Anyone in this room happy to have clothing? Of course I have clothing. Everybody has clothing. But there are people out there somewhere that don't have clothing. And if you bought them a, some clothing, they're like, they go out of their minds that they got clothing. You should see in Eretz Yisrael, you know, this Basam Chelev that gives out shoes for Pesach. And a lot of these kids... Their shoes are, the, the soles and the heels are off. They have to walk with them in a certain way that they don't fall off their own, they don't fall over their own. And if you watched, I watched it, um, cause they have the sky cam on it, whatever it is, and you watch these little Yoshami kids getting, and, and girls getting a brand new pair of Italian shoes, right? They are like, they're going crazy. They're going crazy. It's like, Shemayim, instead of mun coming from Shemayim, shoes came from Shemayim. And these kids, they put them on, and they walk around, and knew how I look, how I look, you know? And, and you can hear them talking. It's like amazing. It's such an excitement. You go to Lester's on Avenue U, right? And you sit down there, and the kid's like, I don't like that shoe. <laughs> My friends have a much nicer one. I know, but it's $175 for that pair of sneakers, size 4. Like, what's the 100? What, what exactly is 175 right? And like, I don't like that. He has Michael Jordan Nikes. I want Michael Jordan Nikes. Come on, my whole class, mommy. I'm not saying specifically Lester's. I'm just using that as an example. Right? And you sit there and you go to these shoe stores and to any shoe store in this generation and you see the kid sitting on a chair, right? And, they're, and it's our fault as parents, the kid's sitting on a chair and there are 26 pairs of shoes underneath them that they tried on already that they don't like. 26 pairs. My mother let me try on 26 pairs. She came home from Alexander's and it was a size 6 shoe and she said, here's your new shoes. <laughs> Made in Malaysia out of plastic. Okay, what do you do? That's, you know, those were the days, whatever. And, and we put on the shoes. Whoever sat there and said, you know, and the mother says, okay, walk across the carpet back and forth and see how comfortable and how you are. And, 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 and this little 8-year-old girl, she's walking like she's walking in the beauty pageant, right? And, and they have these mirrors on the side and she's looking from this angle. It looks nice. That buckle on the side looks nice. But Ma, I don't know how it looks on my instep. Let me see the instep. I can't really see the instep. What, what, what are you doing? What, what are we doing? What are we doing? Because, because it's not a present. I'm supposed to get shoes. I'm supposed to get the nicest shoes. So I don't appreciate shoes. And Eretz Yisrael, these Yushalmi kids who have nothing, a pair of shoes is a brand new car. Because they don't expect it. So to them, it's like, wow, in America, we're spoiled rotten. We expect everything. So not only we're not happy, if we don't get what we expect, we're pretty upset. I expect this and I expect that. So <coughs> along with that went life. We expect life. So the Chachamim made brachas in the morning that, that understood that 
us as humans, we expect everything. Mal b'sharumim. I expect clothing. Matir asurim. I expect to be able to get up and walk. Zaykei kifufim. I expect my back to work. You, chas v'sharum, should never know from a dislocated disc in your back. Forget about it. Forget about it. You can't get up for three, four months, five months, six months. They can't fix it. You go to chiropractic and, and Percocets and all kinds of painkillers and uh, just a little disc, right? Ripped a little bit in your back and you can't straighten up and you can't sit on a chair and you have to lay on the floor. I had it once laying on the floor in the dining room. I ate laying on the floor. You can't move. And that wasn't Chas Shalom, a ripped disc. It was, it moved a little bit. So we say in the morning, thank you Hashem that I can stand up straight from a sitting position. What do you have to make brachas about this for? What do you have to make brachas about this for? And the answer is, Chachamim knew that we're going to take all of this for granted. And if you take all of this for granted, ladies, then of course you're not going to be happy. Because only presents make me happy. Things I don't deserve, things I don't expect. So if I expect to get up in the morning and have life, why should I be happy about it? Why are you so happy about life, Reverend Wallerstein? Everybody else has it. Not everybody else has it. There are graveyards full of people that don't have it. Not everybody else has it. We have it. But on Ocean Parkway, between I and J, Bay Parkway, they don't got it. And there are a lot of people in that graveyard. You should walk by that graveyard and look at it and say, I got something you don't got. I'm alive. Sorry about all you guys. But I'm alive. I can make a bracha. I can help someone across the street. I can jump up and down. I can hear. I can speak. I can see. How are you all doing in there? I don't know why they made a fence. I'm not interested in getting in there. What do you need a fence for? Okay, it's a joke. Everyone's dying to get in. Okay, whatever. <laughs> but I, I'm talking. I'm talking real. I'm talking very real because there are a lot of people in this room that are not happy, and they don't understand how happy they should be. And this girl who went to this boy's funeral this week, it, she got it. It hit her in the head. It doesn't say anything on his stone but his name. He didn't do anything yet. And he's gone. I don't want that to happen to me. I want to be a mommy and a bobby and a teacher. I want to change the world. I want to do something. I'm alive. He's not. I can do something. People wake up. When you come into the month of Adar, you were saved. You have life. That should make you happy. Because the only month we couldn't take life for granted was the month of Adar because we almost lost it. <laughs> it doesn't matter how old or how young you are. Every age, in whatever part of your life you are, you have potential to do something in that part. Whatever it is. Everybody has a potential every second of their life. And Hashem gives it to us and He doesn't understand why we don't appreciate it. Why we take this life that we have for granted. And the other part of my share is the question you're going to ask me. But this life that you're telling me to dance about is miserable. It's very nice for a while to get up there, I'm alive. It's uh, Potential hasn't been working for me lately. You know, it's very nice, but it's not working for me. 
I went through this, and I went through this, and I went through that, and I went through this, and I went through this. Sure, if you have a nice life, it's, I, then it's a present. If you have a miserable life, what kind of present is that? Now you would think a question. A nice life is a present. A miserable life is a present? Keep your presents. Right? Keep your presents. You, you send someone a present, they unwrap it, and it smells like a rotten egg. So you're going to thank them? Oh, thank you for thinking of me. It's disgusting. So, God, if you gave me a present, Rabbi Wallstein's saying life is such a present, why'd you give me the one with the rotten egg inside? That's not a present. I've been suffering since I'm 14 years old. What kind of present is this? So I speak about this every year, but I, I think this is what Purim stands for, and I think that it's very important. I don't have a chumash. Somebody was supposed to bring me a chumash, but I can say without a chumash also. And I think that the best example is... Ah, thank you very much. Okay. I think the best example is Esther HaMalka. And we have spoken about this many times. Esther HaMalka had a pretty miserable life. Thank you. Had a pretty miserable life. Terrible tragedy. When her her mother was pregnant with her, the third month of the pregnancy, says the Medrash, her father suddenly had a heart attack. It doesn't say he had a heart attack. It says he died. So you can imagine that that Leviah, wow, that must have been a very, very sad Leviah. Imagine a pregnant woman. She's in her third month of pregnancy and she loses her husband. That's pretty sad. You can imagine all the Jews are saying like, Hashem, why did you do this? You're such a mean God. Right? A woman's pregnant three months. Okay. They got over it. You know, you go to Leviah, you cry, and then you get over it. What happens after that? Her mother in childbirth, ah, here we go. Her mother in childbirth dies. So the Medrash says she's born Esther without any parents. Pretty tragic. Very tragic. Imagine that, Leviah. Father died, now her mother died. A child without parents. Must have been a terrible Leviah. Okay. So it looks to us like a very bad life. And very child, now she's going to be adopted. Right? And you know, it may not work out that well. So like, it looks really, really bad to us. What was going on, what was going on, was like this. Mordechai saw what was going on in Shemayim. And this is what he told his niece, who, not like if he married or he didn't marry her, this is what he told her. She said she's very nervous. She doesn't want to go to Akashverosh because if you go to Akashverosh and he doesn't put out the scepter, you're dead. And she wasn't invited. And if Akashverosh didn't invite you, he usually didn't put out a scepter. So she's very nervous. So she said, I don't know if I could go. I'm going to put my life on the line. So the famous words that the man, when the Balkaira, when he, <coughs> when he reads, um, he says, Kim He screams it out when he reads the Megillah. If you're going to panic, if you're going to waver at this moment when you're supposed to go to Akashverosh, you think God needs you to save the Jews? The Jews will be saved from somewhere else. You have the potential to save the whole Jewish nation. But don't think that if you don't reach your potential, someone else is not going to do what you're doing. Someone came out to me and said, Wallstein, what would be in the world if you, if you would have never thought of Arnava? 
If you would have never opened their nava, I'm like, silly question. To be a Rabbi Schwartzberg or Rabbi Friedman, what do you think? Hashem only, uh, there's only one Wallstein in the world, there's only one person in the world. Hashem, so Hashem gave me a chance, gave me a thought, and said, let's see what he does with it. He might have given this thought of opening a place for women to a hundred people before me, or at the same time as me. Nobody ran with it. But don't think that you're irreplaceable. Nobody's irreplaceable. There's no such thing in this world. There's no such thing. Hashem will find someone else to do his work. So Mordechai said to Esther something very interesting. You have the potential to save the whole Jewish nation, but I want you to know that there's somebody else out there that has the same potential. So you run and grab it before the other person grabs it. And Esther grabbed it. Or it wouldn't be called Megillus Esther. It would be called Megillus Miriam or whoever else would have grabbed it. She grabbed it. She had her chance. But don't think, well, if I don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. And then all of a sudden, someone else does it. And you're like, that was my thought. That was my idea. She stole my idea. What do you mean she stole your idea? She never heard your idea. But uh, I thought about it first. Yeah, you thought about it first. It's true. But you didn't realize your potential. You didn't do anything. So, Mordechai said to Esther, you're in the spot. You got the chance. You got the ball. You take the shot. You don't take the shot. Somebody else is going to take the shot. But then he spoke to her very harshly. And this was her uncle. And he said to her, if you don't, if you don't go up and save the Jews, you and your whole family will be lost. And maybe this is your moment. And this is why you became the queen. Now, Mordechai, this is his niece. She was a tzaddikista. So he said to her, go to Achashverosh and help the Jews. And she said, I'm scared. I might not make it. So he should have said, don't worry, darling. Shefullah. Learn a little musr. Say a little tehillim. Hashem is going to help. You just go. Close your eyes. Don't worry. What does he tell her? Listen. You don't go. Somebody else is going to go. And if you don't go, you're lost and your whole family is lost. That's not the way to talk to your niece, to get her to go. Very harsh. It wasn't harsh at all. Let me tell you what Mordechai was telling his niece Esther, and this is my shit tonight. Seize the day. There you go. <laughs> Seize the day. Seize the moment. Seize the moment. You're always ahead of me. That's why Nancy's Nancy. She's a Rosh Hashiva. I'm just a Mashkiach. <laughs> anyway, he said the following. Very interesting, Nancy. Listen to what Mordechai told Esther. He said, I know that you suffered your whole life. You don't have a father and you don't have a mother. Why? Why? Hashem doesn't just take a father and mother away. Why? And the reason was. That when Mordechai saw the Gzeira in Shemayim, he said, how does Haman have the power against the Jews? We're the Jews, we learn Torah. Where does the power come from? Haman's power comes from a mitzvah that we don't keep so strongly, girls. And that's the mitzvah of Kivit of the Aim. Haman never served his parents' food unless he was wearing his Shabbos clothing, says the Medrash. Not Haman, I'm sorry, Esau. Esau never served Yitzchak or Rivka without putting... Imagine, 
Uh, supper ready? Yes, hold on. Gotta go. Shower, shave, mm, suit, shoes, right? Cologne. Hi, Dad. Here's supper. Great. Okay, goes upstairs to rest. Um, you forgot to bring dessert. Uh-oh. Shower, shave, cologne, suit, out, shoes, out. Supper, breakfast, in a suit. Lunch, in a suit. The major says, Asaph had crazy kivit of the aim. Now, there were 22 years, 22 years that Yaakov wasn't in the house. Yaakov was by Lavan. So, Esau had a power that he kept this mitzvah, and the Jewish people, Yaakov, didn't keep this mitzvah. Now, the question is, Yaakov did keep the mitzvah because Rivka told Yaakov, go to my brother to get married. So, that was given of aim too. Right? So, he should have said, what do you mean? I was there because my mother told me to go. But the last seven years that he worked for Lavan proved that he didn't do it those seven years that he didn't do the whole thing for Kibbutz of Aim because his mother said go get married so the first 14 years he had to work because he was working for both of them but after that why don't you come home so he worked for seven years those seven years showed that the first 14 years weren't totally lishma for Kibbutz of Aim so therefore it was counted like the whole 21, 22 years were not Kibbutz of Aim so Haman stood in front of Hashem and said I want the Jews destroyed on the credit of my great great grandfather Esau, Amalek, Esau that he kept Kibbutz of Aim Perfect. It wasn't so perfect because Rivka, he didn't treat the way he kept, you know, took care of his father. It wasn't so perfect, but it was much more perfect than Yaakov. And therefore, on that mitzvah, the Jews should be destroyed. So God always correct, creates the refuah before the makkah. So he created a girl who never in her life answered back her father or mother. Never in her life disobeyed her, her parents. He created Esther. Esther never had a mother or a father, not even for a second. So she could never disobey. There was no pagam. There was never something that she did wrong in her kibbutz of aim to her parents. So Hashem said, hold it. There's someone in Haman's generation that also has perfect kibbutz of aim, not just Esav, my Esther. She never answered her parents back. She never was fresh. She never aggravated them. So Haman said, Haman's Malach said, that's very nice. But she never did anything wrong, but she never did anything right. My Esau served them supper, lunch, and breakfast. What did she do? So it brings down, it's amazing to say this to our generation here, but it brings down that Esther every day used to cry to Shemayim that she doesn't have parents. <coughs> but she didn't cry, I don't have parents to take me shopping. I don't have parents who don't come to PTA. She cried, Hashem, I'm crying, I don't have parents, I don't have the, I can't do the mitzvah, give it of the aim. Do you imagine? I know some kids that say, I wish I didn't have parents. I wish I didn't have parents. What do I need parents for? <coughs> Esther every day was crying to Hashem, I wish I had parents. Why? Because I, I want to do the mitzvah, give it of the aim, and I can't. And we know that in Jewish law, machshava kemaisa, your thought is like your, like your deed. So that meant that her whole life, she was doing kibbutz of aim, and on top of that, she never did anything wrong. So Esther was the perfect anti-Esav. The perfect antidote against Haman and Esav. So Hashem said, there's one person in my world who can take down Haman, the great-grandson of Esav, who had the midst of kibbutz of aim, and that's Esther. Because Esther never had parents. And that was why Esther got to this point. 
So, girls, what Mordechai was saying to Esther, he wasn't yelling at her, if you don't do this, it'll happen from somewhere else, and, and if you don't do this, you and your whole family are lost. And maybe this is the moment that you became queen for. He was giving you my speech on life. He was saying, Esther, you, were, you had a terrible life. This present that Hashem gave you, it was missing a mother and a father. What kind of life is that? But Hashem did it for a reason. Hashem did it because you needed to lose your parents in order for you to be in the position that you are now to save Klai Yisrael. And if you don't save Klai Yisrael, this is what he said, if you don't save Klai Yisrael, then you're lost! Because this moment is your potential. It's your moment. And if you don't seize the moment, your life is lost. Because that's why you came to the world. And your father's home that your father had to die young and your mother had to die young in order for you to save Christ. If you don't save Christ, they're wasted. Their death was wasted. The whole thing that you went through, all the pain in your life is wasted. And maybe all the pain in your life, said Mordechai, was to reach this moment. Because only a person who went through your pain can save Yisrael. What a fantastic Pasuk. And that's why Mishnichnas Ador Mabim Basimcha. Because everyone in this room, and every Jewish person, and every person in the world, what they go through in life, you should never lose your parents, but whatever you go through, whatever that pain you're going through, is for a moment. You're going to hit a moment where you're going to need all that pain. And all that experience that you went through. You're going to need that moment to save somebody. And your choice at that moment will be to stand up in all that pain and use everything you went through to help or to let it go by. And then all the stuff you went through was wasted for nothing because you didn't use it. And don't think that if you don't help that person, that person won't get help. There's somebody else out there that went through pain that's going to help them. Grab it! Grab the mitzvah. Grab the chance to help somebody. Grab the chance to make somebody smile. Because if you don't grab it, it's going to happen anyway. Or now is going to be open anyway. So Rishnir, Des Yaakov, if Rishnir wouldn't have done it, it would have been done by somebody else. It's you have to go forward. You can't wait for it to come to you. You have to go forward and grab that. You have an idea? Work on it. Make it happen. The problem with people is they have many ideas. And they're like, okay, tomorrow. Tomorrow, says Mordechai. Tomorrow, Esther. By tomorrow, somebody else is going to get involved and save Klaistral. Maybe not through the mitzvah of Kibbutz of Aim, through the mitzvah of Mesiris Nefesh, through a different mitzvah, but someone else is going to step up. And that's Mishinichnas Adar girls, Mabim Simcha. That's what Purim is about. Purim is about recognizing that just plain old life is the greatest present that a human being can have. Just waking up in the morning and just breathing. I went to a nursing home this week in Farakaway. It's sort of a nursing home for mentally, you know, people that lost their minds a little bit. And I walked through these halls, the halls, and I was like, oh my goodness. My Shmon Esther is going to have to that Hashem should give you das, that you're able to say a sentence. Half of them couldn't say a sentence. That you're able 
to read a stop sign and see what the letters spell and that your brain should put that together, that you're able to remember your name. The nurse was walking around. She was like, Frank, tell the rabbi your name. And he'd go, uh, uh, Frank, tell the rabbi your name. Uh, oh, man, I, I don't remember it. And I'm walking around and my mind is doing a million things at one time. And this man, you're telling him, your name is Frank, and he don't remember it. And it wasn't one person like that. There were hundreds. And I said, we are so lucky. You shouldn't have to go to a place to appreciate life. We are so lucky, girls. You're young. Or you're not young. It doesn't make a difference. You have a potential every day to change the world. You don't believe it. You have a potential. If you Let me tell you something scary. Everyone in this room, if you don't have the potential to change this world for somebody, you would not be alive right now. God does not leave in his world anybody that doesn't have the potential to do something for the world. If you don't have the potential, there's no reason to be here. Goodbye. Finito. Not only that, it's brought down that if a person dies young, for whatever reason, he's machaper because his death forgives a lot of the things that are happening to the Jews. <coughs> Hashem takes, let's say he died at 40, and he was supposed to really die at 80, 90, but, but Hashem did that for him. Thank you very much. Thank you. Is it hot? That's from last week. Okay. Anyway, listen. They give him Ganeiden and Olam Haba for all the things, the 40 years that he's not alive, that he would have done. You hear? Somebody dies at 40, and he was doing all kinds of good things. He can come to Hashem and say, listen, you, you, every person is supposed to live 70, 80 years. You took 40 years away from me. I want credit. They'll say, let's look at what he did those 40 years. Okay, multiply that by 40. You're not alive in this world unless you have potential to change this world in some way. If you don't, you're out of here. Like you say, okay, so what does that man who can't remember his name, what's he doing here? He can't help anybody. The answer is, yeah, the guy wants a nursing home because he's alive, he's getting paid, he's making money, whatever it is, and that's helping people work and people have jobs. So through him, he lost his mind, he lost everything, but he's a human being. Still through him, something's happening in the world. If through him nothing's happening in the world, he's dead. He's gone. He's not here no more. So that means that everyone in this room since you look most of you alive, a couple of girls maybe, I'm not sure. Their eyes are closed, I don't know if they're sleeping or they're alive. But most of the people in this room are alive. That means that God is saying to all of you, you are alive, which means you have potential to do and to help. And even if you're going through a terrible life, it's like Esther. You're going through that terrible life because there's going to be a moment in this world that you're going to use that terrible life that you went through to help somebody else. And if you miss that moment then you didn't have to suffer all that stuff because you wasted it. And that's Ador, and that's Purim, and that's Mishinichnas Ador Ma'abim Basimcha. When a person comes into Ador, focus on life. Focus on life and appreciate life. That is the greatest Simcha. You could, you could come up with all the roller coasters and ices and ice cream and all the great things in the, li- in, in the world. There's nothing more precious than life because life is potential. And we all have that. And that's Adar, and that's Purim, 
and you need to focus on that and if you focus on that you will never be depressed because you are alive and maybe not today will be the test and maybe not tomorrow I don't know Esther didn't know when she first got married to Achishverosh she didn't want to be married to Achishverosh she was like what, what, what? And, and Marachi said I don't know what God's doing you have to show up like all the other girls if he picks you that's what Hashem wants we don't always see the picture we don't always see exactly why and what it's the world so you need to walk out of here tonight and that's why Purim is so festive because because if someone you think if someone's dead and he gets back his life you know all these people that their heart stopped and they ask him you know what do you see in the next world and all this stuff the one thing that they all say is I got my life back I'm spending more time with my family all of a sudden I see the sun I see colors I feel the wind hello you were alive before this when they get their life back they understand that that's the greatest present of all and you can't take it for granted so Purim is a time when we're happy we have life want to come to my house to eat so that's Purim hey how you doing Shlach Manis, you want something? Here's a present. Oh, you're poor? Here's a couple of bucks. Oh, let's go to shul and hear about life. Let's make a lot of noise by Haman. Let's bang his brains out. Yeah, the Kabbalah Yosha says, I read it last night to the boys. Every time you bang on the floor, Hashem takes Haman out of the Gehenna and smacks him over the head. You, should, you have to bang on the floor. He says, Beferish. You have to bang on the floor. You have to make noise. He says, it's a minute. You think it's a joke? It's not a joke. He says, in Shemayim, they take Zeresh and him and the ten sons, and every time a Jew bangs on the name of Haman, they smack him over the head. So you gotta bang. Don't, don't let people tell you, don't, we're making noise. You're supposed to make noise. You're supposed to make noise. And you have a mitzvah shlachmanos, a woman has to give two presents of food to one person, and matanos sevyonim, at least a dollar to two, to two different people. And you have the mitzvah of Megillah, and you have the mitzvah of Suda. You don't have the mitzvah of, I told the boys last night, today most people don't know the difference between Haman and Marachai anyway, you don't have to drink. They have no idea the difference between Haman and Haman. They don't know the difference between good and bad. They think good is bad. They think bad is good. That's, by the way, the whole thing of not knowing the difference between Haman and, and, and Mordechai. He's not knowing the difference between good and bad because in good there's bad and in bad there's good. Uh, Facebook has. It's bad. Oh, is it bad? Again today. Every time I get up to speak, I don't know, it happens every Wednesday. Again today, a girl wrote, this girl who wrote this beautiful poem to this boy who was Nifter, so she, she wrote it on Facebook. So I asked her in school to print it out for me. She said, no problem, I'll print it for you. So she prints it. And she goes, oh my gosh, I can't give this to Rabbi Wallerstein. I'm like, give me the poem. She goes, no, 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 no. Of course, again, there's a picture of a girl on the side, right? Not dressed. So I'm like, so everyone who goes onto Facebook sees this picture? And she goes, yeah. So that's before you get into Facebook. So I don't know why people tell me that there's nothing wrong with it. You can't even get into it without something being wrong with it. And of course, we don't know the difference between good and bad. It's good, it's bad, what's it? Today, no one knows the difference. But you have to know one thing, that the Satan always puts the bad in the good, because he knows that we like good things. So it's like the wicked witch in that story that she put the poison in the apple. Why don't you just give her a shot of poison? Because she knew that she liked apples. So the Yetzirah knows what we like. So we go online to talk to our friends. That's okay. And we go online to look at Svarim and Shiurim and whatever else is on Facebook. I don't even know what's on Facebook, right? But while we're there, while we're there, where do we go from there? Where do we go from there? The whole hate, girls, the whole sin of Su'udas, Achashverosh. What did the Jews do so bad that Hashem wanted to destroy us? We did bad, we've done bad things all the time, right? We did bad things. Shvichas Damim, Gilei Royas, by the base of Migdash, she destroyed the base of she didn't wipe us out. 
What did we do so bad? What we did so bad is we went to a party. No. What's wrong with going to a party? What was at the party? Kalat kosher meat. The lettuce was checked for bugs. The waiters were Jewish. The wine was Kedem. It was the perfect party. The perfect party. No girl waiters. Nice firm waiters. They had Zmiros on the table. Serious. They had Zmiros on the table. I'm sure they had a minion from Irev before they sat down to eat. And there was only one Meshuggah standing by the door screaming, don't go in there. One Wallerstein screaming, don't go to Facebook. The biggest problem that girls have with me is, what do you have with that stupid Facebook Wallerstein? One Meshuggah and a Wallerstein screaming. All the rabbis, nobody screams about Facebook. There's one crazy Wallerstein out there that says, don't go there. Because it's going to take up eight hours of your time. You're going to end up talking to a boy. I don't care what you tell me. You're going to end up going to places that you shouldn't. You're going to end up getting emails and texts and whatever it is on your Facebook from people that are extremely dangerous. The Goyim had a write-up this week, CNN, that there are men on Facebook that make believe they're girls. And, and, and someone told me this week that she got caught because there was a, a girl that sent her, I don't know how they, it works on Facebook, but sent her a message to find out if she'll be her friend. Then you could say no, right? And her name was like Rifki Blumenkranz. Rifki Blumenkranz. That sounds nice and from and religious and, and, and safe. So she started to talk to Rifki. And Rifki's in 12th grade and she's in 12th grade and they're telling each other about their problems. And this is going on for three months. And Rifki says, why do we have to keep talking like this? Let's meet in 18th Avenue Park. Okay, what's wrong? 18th Avenue Park and Bar Park. What could be? What could be wrong? When should we meet? Well, it's very hot. I'm in school. How about 9 o'clock at night, Sunday night? 9 o'clock at night, 18th Avenue Park is dark. She says, night? Yeah, my parents, they find out I'm on Facebook. I'm going to get into big trouble. She goes to the park. <laughs> Rifki Boomerkrans ain't Rifki Boomerkrans. His name is like Daniel Schwartzberg. I'm just making up a name. It was no girl. For three months, she's talking to Rifki Boomerkrans. She was talking to a boy and she didn't know it. Oh, don't, don't make believe you never heard such a story. Come on. Come on. Anyone on Facebook, this is a nothing story. Right, Wallstein, if you think that's something, let me tell you. <laughs> it's Achashverosh's party. Yeah, yeah, Torah is there. And some other organizations are there. Yeah, Achashverosh's party had kosher food and bodek lettuce and Jewish waiters with big yarmulkes and payas and smiras and sh- Right, but what happened at the end? Yeah, no, it says that Haman and Achishverosh hired, tried to hire Mordechai to be the Mashkiach, but hired Rabbanim. And they said, this is the interesting part, and I'll end with this, the most amazing part. And what happened in the end? We all know the Medrash, that they invited Vashti to come dance on the table, not dressed. What happened to all the rabbis? What happened to all the guys that came into the Heksher? And the wine is kosher, and it's Bozak! Vashti? Gonna come down and dance, not dressed? Everyone's gonna leave the party! Nobody left the party, they're all waiting for her to come down. Why? So it says, the Medrash says, because they started to give the Jews wine. And they gave the Jews wine until they got a little bit drunk. Then they brought out the kalim of the base Hamigdash, the vessels of the base Hamigdash, and they gave the Jews to eat from the vessels of the base Hamigdash. The law of the vessels of the base Hamigdash is that if you touch it, you're Mayo Behagdish. You're not allowed to use it for anything. 
And here, Achishverosh was taking out the cups and the plates of the Beis Hamikdash, and these rabbis and these Jews who came to the kosher party were sitting there and eating and drinking out of the kalim of the Beis Hamikdash. And then he drank a little more, and it's like, okay, bring down Vashti, not dress, we'll watch her dance. Sure, it starts with a hashkacha, with a mashkiach, with everything kosher. Yeah, Facebook's kosher. There's nothing wrong with it. It's how I communicate with my friends. That's how it starts, I agree. And it can be kosher for a year or two. But then after five hours and seven hours every night comes the breakdown, comes, comes the uncle whose name is, his name is uncle, but he's really Miriam. Or he's Miriam and he's really uncle. And you don't know the difference between Haman and Mordechai anymore. You don't know between good and bad. You're so mixed up, you don't know what's flying anymore. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you come to do the worst Averis, I can tell you. The worst Averis, which started on a Facebook relationship with my friend that I was in seminary, which I don't know any, you know. The only way I could connect to her ended up doing the biggest Averis that you could imagine. And a good girl. Yeah. This was Mordechai, the one Meshuggah, like Wallerstein, that stood outside the door and said, don't go to the party. And they said, you are nuts. The big hashkocha on the wall. Baldek, Sat Mashkita, Yayin, Mabushal. Why shouldn't I go to the party? This is a great party. And what did they say? And this is the kicker. They said, Why am I going to go to the party? The same Shemayim. Why didn't you go to the party? Go to Yeshiva. Because if the Goyim went out of their way to make a kosher party with kosher Shkita and Baldek lettuce, and hire Jewish waiters, if we don't go to the party, we're going to insult them. They made a party for us. They made a Christmas party in my office. And they brought in kosher food. How could I not go to the Christmas party? They brought in... Am I going to get them aggravated? Oh, you Jew, you think you're different? I have to be friendly with them. So they all said to Monica, you know what you're going to cause? All kinds of problems. Get out of the way. Get out of my way. And they trampled them. And they all ran into the party. Because they didn't want to aggravate the Goyim. Because if we don't go to the party, we're going to aggravate them. You know what's going to happen if we go? We don't go to the party and we aggravate them? They're going to hate us. And you know what's going to happen if they hate us? They're going to kill us. So we're going to the party in order to save the lives of Kaisro. Sadiqim. And Mordechai said, idiots! You're going to the party? You're going to kill all the Jews. They said, what cheshman? What, how did you, what, where are you coming up with that? We're going to sit with them. We're going to laugh with them. We're going to hang out with them. We're going to chill with them. And it's going to be one big Achashverosh Shushan party. And all the Jews and all the guys, and we're going to, you know, drink. Hey, cheers. What's up? What's going on? Right? And they're going to love us. We're going to assimilate. They're going to love us. And then we have nothing to worry about. <coughs> Came Hashem and said, they're going to love you. The whole party was a scheme by Haman and Achashverosh to get the Jews to do this Avera, to drink from these Clay Migdash, he knew that that would make Hashem so angry that Hashem would sign to kill us. That we're drinking from the Clay Migdash, right? And then we weren't Kahanim. <coughs> their whole plan of their whole party was to wipe us out. And like a bunch of chickens going to the slaughter, we walked in and said, I gotta be by the party. Because if I'm not by the party, they're gonna hate me. And if they hate me, they're gonna kill me. Meanwhile, the whole party was to kill you. That's the Satan. That's how he works. The party of Achashverosh. It's kosher. You know, the other place, my space is not kosher. So the Satan saw that there were Jewish girls and parents and teachers that said, my space, they're pedophiles on my space. They're very dangerous, sick people on my space. 
So he went ahead and he said, ooh, I'm going to make a kosher place with bodek and kosher stuff. We're going to call it Facebook. Punim. Facebook. That's what we're going to do. We're going to make a Facebook. So everybody ran. Everybody ran. Oh, Mashiach's here. There's a kosher place to go. And there's one person standing at the edge of the door and saying, it's going to kill you. It's going to destroy you. I mean, he's a Meshuggah in a while. He's got a problem with Facebook. I don't know. Because he doesn't have an account. <laughs> can't believe he doesn't have an account. How does a rabbi, a guy said to me today, he was in my office, he goes, you, are you on Facebook? I'm like, if you knew me, you wouldn't ask me that question. It would be like the last question you'd ever ask me in your life. You're, this is what, quote unquote, quote unquote, you're a rabbi that does Kirov and you're not on Facebook? I don't believe you. I'm like, you mean like to be a rabbi that does Kirov, you got to be on Facebook? I got to deal with that girl who loses 19 pounds in two weeks and that picture on the side every time I go onto Facebook, I got to deal with her? That's the Kirov? That's the Kirov you're talking about? Like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Look how much sugar we became. So we don't know the difference between Baruch Mordechai and Arahaman. We don't know the difference. We're Ara Mordechai. We're cursing out the rabbis and the ones who are telling you to stay away from the bad things. And we're Baruch Haman. We're blessing all the people who are telling you to do the wrong things. Hashem should give you all clarity that you should know the difference between Baruch Mordechai and Arahaman. And that you should appreciate this wonderful and amazing yontif that we have, which is Purim, which is the return of life. One day, one day is Tanis Esther, which is a very big day for women. And you have to say on Monday, I think it's Kapitel Chaf Beis? Chaf Beis. Alayelas HaShachar, which is talking about Esther. It's a very big schooler for every woman to say that on Tanis Esther, which is on Monday. And Tuesday morning, if you want to do yourself a favor, Tuesday morning, since we're changing the clock, for Sikin, sunrise is 7.15. Very late. You don't have to get up at 5 o'clock. You don't have to get up at 4 o'clock. 7.15. If you can go to shul, 7.15 Shemona Esrei. Not 7.15 starting to daven. 7.15 has to be Shemona Esrei at that moment. If you could daven with Sikin on Purim, it is the holiest of the holy. It's holier than Yom Kippur. You can ask Hashem for anything on Purim. Anything that you want. Because that's the day that Hashem says, if someone puts out their hand, put something into it. And Hashem says the same thing. If you put out your hand to me and you ask me for something, on Purim is the biggest day of bracha that exists. Don't lose the moment. Use the moment. Shabbat slacha and bracha. And You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.